0: Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm Clarissa Christensen, and in this podcast, we know that menopause and midlife aren't all fun and games. But this is the podcast where I and my guests guide you and support you. Lots of our issues arise at this time of life because they're subjects that we want to brush under the carpet. Bringing these conversations into the light. We can help you prepare for midlife and menopause changes. Get supported with symptoms as they arise, with life issues in our relationships, with our kids, our finances, our careers. Prepare to join us every single week and we are looking forward to thriving through menopause and getting you set up and ready to make the most of the next chapter of your life. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. Burnout. We've all heard of it and way too many of us are experiencing it as women in our midlife. Those of you that know me know that I was a burnout victim or sufferer. I don't really classify myself as a victim. And it certainly isn't something where you're a little bit tired and you go on a yoga retreat and recover. It's much deeper than that and the journey back is much longer. So today I'm really excited to have as a guest a recovering burnout survivor like myself who's on a mission to help other women in leadership and their teams avoid burnout. Welcome
1: Kathleen Fair. Thank you, Clarissa. Lovely to be here.
0: Yeah, Kathleen, I'm so glad you're here. You and I have obviously connected through coaching training that we've taken, and your story felt so parallel to mine. But for my listeners, tell them a little bit
1: about your burnout journey. Oh, it was, um, I've been, I've had two burnout episodes, um... But the one that happened most recently was certainly the most profound and the one that has affected me and my journey uh, in life Mm -hmm. most impactfully. So I I took on a role. um, First of all, I'll go back a little bit. I am Canadian came to Australia about 10 years ago for a job. It took my two young children who were only 11 and 15 at the time. We came on an adventure and had decided we were going to come for a year. That was almost a decade ago. (laughs) (laughs) And listen, we've had a great time. I came for a job that I loved, spent about six years in that role and decided it was time. I had done what I could and it was time to move on. So moved on up the so-called career ladder and decided or was accepted for a role in an executive director of nursing role at a regional hospital that was on one hand an incredible experience I learned so much and was able to affect so much change within that role that I was in for three years but on the other hand suffered such profound burnout that I became a person I didn't even really recognize particularly well and certainly my family didn't either what that did for me, um, over the course of the last probably 12 months of that role, I slipped deeper and deeper into a place of feeling trapped, feeling like I couldn't, I had nowhere to go. I had to stick it out. I was doing my best. I was not getting the support that I needed, particularly in such a huge role. And in fact, my manager, who was the CEO, said many times, oh, you know, this. He, as he would introduce, this is Kathleen. She has the biggest job in the place and yet had very, very little support from him and others. Um, nice guy, just wasn't able to provide that support. And, and there were a lot of issues and we had to work through them. And, and by the time I got to the end, I was driving to work and thinking, oh could I just have a little accident along the way because that would give me a break that would put me in hospital for a couple of days and I could have a break of course I would take my computer with me and I would work from home so who's fooling whom but that's that's where it got to and the day that I was driving to work and a kangaroo ran out in front of the car in front of me the car in front hit somehow all of us got stopped and I sat on the side of the road and I thought, if that wasn't a message and a wake-up call, I have no idea what was. Mm. And so that was the moment that I thought, yeah, this has got to change. And it still took another four months. I, I gave my resignation mm. not long after that. It took four months, or gave them four months notice, and probably wasn't the wisest thing to do. I thought it was a good thing because, you know, as women, we're givers and we're nurturers and we've got to do the right thing and we're not <laughs> going to leave our teams in a lurch but in the end it was a really spectacular burnout for me and it was not it was not a place that i'm proud to remember to be honest
0: no and and as i hear you talking there kathleen i all that flashback of what it felt like for me i mean you and i could have stood almost in each other's shoes there and and i think the thing that comes through to me kathleen is those feelings how emotional this journey is Talk about what some of those actually, you know, were like.
1: Well, certainly the the biggest emotion uh, or the biggest feeling was the lack of power, the lack of empowerment, the lack of having any control over the things that needed to be done. I thought I had control, and that's 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 the, the 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 paradox is that you think you're in this big role and you've got you've got all of these things that you have to do and you're in control of so many things, but in actual fact, you're in control of very little. And particularly yourself, because as you slide down into that, you become angry, you become, you become apathetic, you become, certainly I did, um, just angry, sad, all of those feelings that are just so big and so powerful that you just can't um, put anywhere because you're so busy and you're so overwhelmed, you just got to put them into a box and deal with them later, you think
0: yeah and does it show up I mean for for me it showed up with small signs along the way what kind of little signs in reflection were you getting Kathleen that you were on this journey and and did you override them it's probably my follow-up on that of course we did of course
1: you do that's just what you do we're women we just get on with it right yeah right <laughs> We just deal with it you know, my kids. Are you okay, mom? And and my girls are adults now, and they could see they could see what I was going through, and they were showing concern, and my partner was showing concern, and and I was I was getting angry, I was getting tired, headaches. All oh, the headaches were coming loud and loud and proud all the time. I was getting really bad headaches. Um, you know, going to the massage therapist. Oh, I just need to work this out. But of course, you know, that was just all that tension sitting up everywhere. Um, I have an interesting discussion with someone probably all maybe three months before the kangaroo incident. And that was the wife of a patient or someone that had had planned on being a patient for respite. So there's a woman whose um, husband uh, has a degenerative disease and she was, she was the prime caregiver. She was putting him into respite. He's only in his Mm -hmm. fifties, putting him into respite so that she could go visit her first grandchild up in Queensland and then when we when he arrived we didn't have a space for him because we were in the middle of a break of a an outbreak of this pre-covid i don't remember what it was now it was probably <laughs> gastro or respiratory i don't you know they seem so mundane and small now by <laughs> comparison anyway we they, he hadn't been given the message that we could, we didn't have a place for him and she came in and complained and complaints rarely got to my level but this time it did she wanted to speak to me directly and i went down and sat and listened to her and so I listened to this woman's story, at, well, her anger, about how we were just terrible, we didn't have communication, which I agreed with, the communication was very poor. But then she went on to say, you know, her mother had, had uh, just died, her sister had um, died a year before of a very fast brain tumor, and her brother-in-law had been diagnosed with Parkinson's and had gone out for a walk, tripped in a creek and drowned. All of this had happened within the space of three years while her husband was going through this, this diagnosis. So I sat and listened, and I, I, I really didn't have anything to say other than to agree with her that this was a you know, horrible place to be. She ended up thanking me for being there and listening to her. We ended up with a way to, to get around it. She postponed her trip. It all went. I didn't see her again. But two or three weeks later, when her when she was able to fly out and her husband was placed with, with us in respite care, um, I got a bouquet of flowers from her saying thank you for listening. Wow. That for me was a moment where I could step back and say, what am I doing in this role that I am so powerless in? I'm missing all of these connections, which is what I went into nursing for in the first place. That was probably my first aha moment, where that where I w- it was really that flash in my face to say. Yeah, what am I doing? This is there's there's a disconnect here. There's something not working. Yeah,
0: and I, and that is that sort of disconnection from purpose or the thing that really really drives you. And yeah, and and there you were sort of feeling that. But it took another 3 years, didn't it, Kathleen, before you No,
1: that it took about 18 months.
0: 18 months. Yeah. So you were getting these sort of messages subtly and less subtly that something needed to change.
1: And certainly on the day that I gave my resignation, it wasn't planned. I'd had it sitting on my desk for probably three months at that point. I knew it was coming, but it was a matter of what was going to be the moment that pushed me over the edge. And I don't even remember what it was. I think I just got up from my desk and decided this was it. But I went home that night. It was a Monday and I got home. My partner was, you know, had come into the kitchen and said, oh, how was your day? And he went through and told me what his day was like. And he said, oh, how was your day? And I said, well, um, I did something. He said, oh, I'm oh, looking a bit worried. <laughs> and I said, I resigned. And the first words out of his mouth were, does that mean I get my partner back? Yeah. And that was just, wow. Wow.
0: That is, that is huge. And that that must have been that moment when you realized that, the impact that our burnout has on others as well
1: as it's having on ourselves is really huge. And we don't see it. We don't think that we're having that effect on other people. We don't think that we're having that effect on our teams who are looking at us and asking us up if we're okay. If you know, on our families, on our friends, the people that we don't connect with as often as we used to, or we avoid those situations. Everybody sees it, but us. Yeah. We think we're fooling people.
0: Yeah, or we're not picking up on the signals because we're so wrapped up in what's going on around us that we don't pick up. I mean, I think that's the interesting thing. My son would say to me, you never listen. You never listen. And that's, I'm sure on reflection was part of that, that there was just too much noise in there. And him going on about some schoolwork or something was one added thing that I couldn't hear. Yeah. Yeah. But, and what are we really here for we're here for ourselves and our kids aren't we yeah but i think my good question is how do so many women in leadership get to this point because you and i are not unique this is a story that is way too common particularly for women of a certain age
1: now certainly it is and i think Some of the keys now. I've spoken to lots of women, as as you know, I coach uh, women in burnout, as you said earlier. Um, And some of the stories that I hear, they're not age specific, they're not industry specific, they don't necessarily correspond to women who have children, who don't, who are married, who don't, who aren't, or in partnerships. It really is more about the woman herself, and the, the well, we know that burnout, as much as we say that that burnout is an intrinsic thing the who has already been very clear to say no it's actually an extrinsic thing We we go into it apologize Uh, we go into this um um space and everything around us is what's impacting us and we come from within one of the things that i get uh I find really interesting is how a lot of the, these supposed gurus come and say, you just need to build your resilience, huh. which I think is utterly ridiculous because if you had that resilience to begin with, you you still might get to burnout. It would just take you a bit longer. It's the extrinsic things. It's those, that cultural, um, uh, horrible, horrible cultural kind of divide and the lack of leadership, the lack of support. That gets you to a position where burnout has the chance to seed not the other way around yes and so it doesn't really matter again the industry the this family situation none of that really matters the organization and the way your role is managed by those that, that are supposed to be leading around you that that's where burnout becomes a real concern and a potential yes Yes,
0: and I think that's true. Some of the biggest uh, people who've worked on burnout and the lady's name escapes. I remember she's written sort of a seven or 10 point thing and they were, as you rightly said, all to do with poor leadership, um, not managing, helping people to manage their time, uh, not manage their workloads, not have anybody to talk to. And it had very, very little to do with our, of course, it's to do with ourselves, but not in that not in that way. If we were just ourselves in the perfect environment, we would probably cope a lot we better, were. wouldn't we? We would we try.
1: Yeah. And we do know, and there's a lot of research that supports the, the notion that those in passion-driven roles particularly healthcare, you know, health sector, those those people who have a lot of passion are more susceptible. So it doesn't necessarily mean that those people are the ones that are going to get burnout, but they need that environmental structure that's going to support them because they are more susceptible to that kind of, um, I'm not going to say burnout because it's the overwhelm. So once the, you manage the overwhelm, hopefully then you've got a, a position to be able to, to avoid the burnout,
0: yeah, because the burnout doesn't come first. There's a long journey, isn't there, Kathleen, of many steps along that way.
1: And and to, to go back to what we were saying previously as well, it's about. It's not about your home environment. It can, it can contribute, but that's not where it starts. And it may take, as my case, and I'm yours as well, a number of months, years or years to, to get to that place. And for someone to say, or to suggest, go take a holiday, even take a month, you'll be fine when you get back. You'll be so refreshed. No, if it took you that long to get there, it's going to take you as long, if not longer, to get back.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think that's a really important point. And I heard um, Matti Lindstrom, who's a big professor here at Karolinska, say that the journey back is long. It, you know, This is a form of brain damage in his eyes. And it has you know, is not something that you just bounce back from after a yoga retreat.
1: And, and it's been likened to PTSD. And there's a lot of research that, that shows the parallels between burnout and PTSD. Definitely. And, and no one expects someone to come back from PTSD after a retreat.
0: No, no. Yeah, that, that's a forever thing that you work on and learn to manage. And, and maybe I don't know, but I think burnout feels like that too.
1: I certainly when I left the hospital that that I had this experience in it's in a different town and the first time I went into that town I took the long way around I couldn't even drive past the hospital yeah and I felt so silly (laughs) (laughs) but I wanted to avoid it at all costs
0: yeah and I think you really want to distance yourself and I'm You need to create space. I mean, I moved country because I knew I couldn't stay in the environment where all of that happened and all those people, because that was too stressful, and I needed to get away from it all. The same as you don't want to go to that town. I don't particularly want to go back to Sydney at this at this stage and do that. But we touched on a point that it's a long journey and it can be. It doesn't ha- It doesn't happen quickly. And I think for me it evolved and it, one thing built on another, built on another, a bit like the woman you had there. I mean, is that common that it's, it's sort of a piling up of maybe something that starts as a personal or a job thing and then it just builds on top of that?
1: No question. No question because any one thing, typically most people, most women have the reserve to manage. They can manage with the second thing. They can pretty much manage with the third thing. When you're compiling all of those on top of one another, eventually you get to a point where that it becomes the tippy, the tippy kind of structure, and and it all comes crashing down. You can only take on so much. Um, it really it, it gets to a point, as I said, they, if you can really feel trapped by your circumstance. And in fact, that's a common thing for people to feel, because you get to all of these places. You know, you keep piling all of these things, one on top of the other, and you look around, well, you know, I want a similar role. I can't leave my role because there's nothing close. I don't want to commute. I've got a mortgage. My kids rely on me. I'm the breadwinner. Uh, I'm the sole um, provider. Um, it, there's, there's, if I leave a role in less than two years, it's going to look bad on my, on my CV. There's all of these stories that we tell ourselves that really are just that. They're stories but we can't manage them without coming to the point of realization that this is the bigger story. And it's the journey that we need to go on. Yes.
0: Uh, Yeah. And you're so right. And, and the excuses that we build up, men suffer burnout, but they don't go on the same journey as women, do they? Not typically. Not Not typically. typically. What, what is it that's different there? That they have as many pressures, but they don't go on this build the excuse, build the excuse kind of journey in the same way.
1: I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that men's brains typically work differently in the way they approach situations. And, and without making this a gender debate, we really do approach things often, not always, but often from a very different perspective men are much better at women most of the time at just making a decision saying they're not going to deal with this this is as far as they're going to go yes they they absolutely suffer burnout no question but the end point is doesn't seem to ever be quite as far as it is for women women will suffer the consequence of it far longer than a man typically will a man will typically say you know what i'm done i'm out of here i can't do this anymore I'm just going to go to another job. It doesn't matter what, what it looks like on my CV, I'm just done. Where a woman will overthink all of these things. And, and not even overthink, because I don't want to minimize that and I don't want to make it sound something like something that, you know, just fix it. As women, we approach things very differently the way we nurture, the way we, the way we are expected to make those, make those kind of decisions about uh, our lives, whether we have dependence or not we do things differently. Men make different decisions than women do. And this is one of the ways that it plays out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I think men are probably more risk-taking. There's a bit more of that. In the end, they'll say, I'm done with this. I'll take a risk. I'll quit. We, Yeah, we keep going and nurturing. There's a question I think also that a lot of women in leadership burnout. Do you think that there is a sense of fear that we wouldn't get back to that leadership position
1: if we were to if we were to step away for a while absolutely and some of the research supports that fear mm. most of the time though people women who have attained those positions will go back there if that's what they choose to do and there will be the opportunity but there there is and it's interesting, I've, there's a lot of research out there that suggests that all of these these stories that we've told ourselves in society, that, you know, women take time off to, to have um, children, they, you know, they come back into the, into the workforce part time, and, and that's where that glass ceiling becomes so apparent. A lot of studies have actually shown that's not the case. It's more about the choices women make, not the lack of opportunity. Yeah. And so... Again, it's the stories we tell ourselves. Yes, we will get back to those positions if that's what we choose to do. What a lot of the, anecdotally, now it I would be interesting to see the research in this, but anecdotally, the people, some of the women that I've spoken to, or many of the women that I've spoken to, don't want to go back to those positions once they've finally gotten away from them.
0: That's very true. I wouldn't want to put myself back into that space again, because I have that sense that that's a bit of fear to go back there too. I mean, it's not just that I maybe have moved on, but actually to go back into potential roles and, as you said, the organization uh, around it, which is hugely instrumental in creating this, is not a position I wish to place myself in. And I wonder why that's where so many women end up going into coaching or or doing a completely different f- space because they really don't want to put themselves back in that.
1: It's interesting. An interview I did with a woman not that long ago uh, was an urban planner. She had a, quite a successful career as an urban planner and got to that point of just couldn't do it anymore and yeah. now runs um, community cooking and gardens. Well, why, not, why not? Which is fabulous. Why not? <laughs> Completely different. She's doing what she loves. Maybe yeah. she's not making as much money. And, and it's funny because we put money as one of those drivers often. Yeah. You know, we're not going to make as much money. We've you know, got a mortgage. It's amazing how much less we can get by with when we have to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we realize we trim away a lot of those things that we thought were important that have kept us trapped in these, in these roles where we, we don't want. And it is a feeling of entrapment.
1: Absolutely, and that's probably the, the word, if I had to choose one in my journey and in the journeys that I hear other women share with me, that is probably the underlying word that I hear most often, and that's trapped. Yeah.
0: One of the questions I want to say is we talked earlier about people saying this is an individual thing, about resilience and, and just balance. Why do you think that's such a popular kind of myth, if we like, as opposed to tackling the real issues you know why is that being perpetuated so strongly
1: i think because people use the word burnout very loosely that's probably one of the biggest the biggest inhibitors to real progress being made people use the word burnout for those things that we talked about earlier, feeling really tired, needing a break, you know, oh, I'm just so burnt out, but I'll go away for two weeks or three weeks and I'll come back and everything will feel better. We use the word very, very loosely. If we use it the way it's been defined by the WHO, it's a very different, takes on a very different connotation and meaning. And I think that is a really big reason that we need to be careful with the way that we use it. So if we were to use the word burnout the way many do, that kind of you know just tired which is really what it is i'm tired i need a break um resilience does come into play there balance does come into play there if you use those tools if you develop those tools you you take up practice of yoga meditation and i, I would never say anything about those i do them as well um but they're a part of a much bigger palette of of things that i do to manage where i need to go so Yes, we need those things. But as far as burnout, when burnout is a true, that takes on the true definition, um, you know, the, the lack of efficacy and, and the, the other bits that, that come into that, then those other pieces don't have as much of a role. No. Not in the first instance.
0: No, no. And, and I think that is that big difference between you can do all you like, but you still got to put yourself back into a situation that can feel very, in fact, in sometimes more jarring if you're trying to do the things that are good for you than actually, than actually, you know, not doing them at all. If you just sort of walked around and down the glass of wine and try to cope and hang on in there. But when you actually do the work and you realize that into your internal world and external world look even more distance, that can be such a difficult thing to to cross that 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 gap becomes even bigger
1: it does it does and you become very removed from others so that gap is not just the gap between you and your role but all of your support systems that gap becomes quite huge as well and that that's something we do as it's funny I don't know if it's a way to protect them ourselves or as a way to deny what's really happening.
0: Yeah. And I absolutely, I mean, and I can say this to the listeners that I chose a desk in the furthest corner of the office. And I was quite a senior manager because I couldn't bear to sit in amongst everybody else. And the only thing that you know, my boss was like, why is it that? Way? It's good to sit here. And I sat in the corner and made all the excuses why it was a, I was able to concentrate, but it wasn't. I needed to be as far removed from those people as possible. And that was the only way that I could attain that. And it wasn't until he forced me back to a desk in the middle that that decision to go was was really much more front and center.
1: It's, um, like I said, we, we, we tell ourselves lots of stories, don't we? <laughs> We're excellent at that. But we've talked about the problems, I mean,
0: what are some of the things that we as women can do to start to to break through and, and even begin to thrive? Apart from actually quitting, of course, what are some of the more concrete other things that we can do?
1: I think the very first thing that anyone can do is to set boundaries and maintain them. So one of the things that women are really good at of course, it's a very ironic way of saying that word. But yes, we're very good at taking on everybody else's emergencies. We're very good at, at taking on the, the things that other people need to be doing themselves because, oh, you know, it's okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. You know, no, no problem at all, we'll do it. We're really good at that. We're not very good at setting boundaries to say, no, that's actually your role. Come to me if you need some ideas or support or you want to bounce it off someone, but that's actually your job. Set the boundaries around Technology And I know we hear this all the time, but it's true. Turn off the phone. Don't have your phone syncing um, your calendar and your emails after business hours. Mm -hmm. Unless there there might be some places where that's not um, able to be done. But then you have those conversations with your management to say, I can't do it every day. Is there going to be a roster? Is it going to be something that's going to be compensated for in some other way? Um, certainly I know for the role that I had, I was essentially on call 24 seven, um, because if anything came through, I was the top of the heap as far as nursing went. So if there was anything that needed to be done. So I slept with my phone beside my bed. The day I finally left, that phone went out into the other room and it stayed there. (laughs) Thanks very much. (laughs) (laughs) Boundaries are so important. Boundaries have to be there because if you can't maintain your own boundaries, You won't have a chance. There's no way you're going to get past that. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I think is incredibly important is accountability. And it's not just accountability to everyone else. In fact, that's second accountability to yourself has to come first. You need to be accountable for the things, the boundaries, all of those other things that need to be done. Because if you don't, if you're not accountable to yourself, no one else will be for you. So if you have an accountability buddy, I mean, is there a friend that you can, that you can talk to that is going to call you on a daily basis and say, have you done this or have you not done that? Those kinds of things can be really powerful Um, because then that puts the onus back on you to maintain those boundaries. It's a bit of a cyclical thing. It sounds really mundane and it sounds very small. It's not going to get you out of burnout, but it's going to keep you from going any further. And it will give you the time that you need to be able to say, I can do this, or I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Of course, self-care is also the other thing. And that, again, they all feed one another. Those self I'm not talking about a holiday, although that can help you settle right this minute. I'm talking about that fundamental self-care, sitting back, looking at what your world is for what it really is, not what you've been telling yourself that it is.
0: Yeah. And and that is very, that's so different. And I agree. Women are really bad at saying no. Uh, and you're right, these boundaries and these boundaries seem to, they're at work, but then they filter into your home life too. I mean, I love Ada Caldoun's book, Why Women, Why We Don't Sleep. And I mean, there she was saying, you know, who is keeping everybody's passwords in their head, you know, and doing everybody's banking and organ. So you're organizing people at work and then you're organizing everybody at home until everything is you. And I recognize that you probably recognize that, that we're doing too much for everybody, but not for ourselves.
1: And we're we're great at the monkey see monkey do. You know, do exactly what I tell you to do, but do not follow my example. And I'll, I said it today to my daughter: Do not do what I'm telling you that you that I you shouldn't be doing. It's we are our own worst enemies in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, and I think in that isn't there this sense that I'm being helpful? Therefore, I I have some sort of I don't know value or. Whatever the underlying motivation is, sometimes we're not sure why we do it, but so many of us do it because we have it ingrained in us that it's part of being, having, adding value.
1: And part of that is being a woman, because as women, these are the roles typically in our society that we have been groomed to continue. Yes. And and rightly wrongly... (laughs) it doesn't really make a difference really because it is what it is. We just need to change it. Yeah, we do. And I think women who
0: say no um, aren't viewed very favorably. Sometimes we get labeled with unpleasant words, beginning with B that we'd, you know, and we feel that, but we have to learn to, to say no in a way that's yes, no, but in a way that is also seen as constructive. And I think that's often the hardest thing because then we go from one to the other and that, doesn't get well received
1: and it's so unfair that a man can say no Mm -hmm. and it's just accepted yeah and
0: we're not on a feminist agenda here but this is the thing that women need to take on to themselves but also collectively that we can help other women learn that this is the way we say no this is why and and be respected for it
1: And respectful. And I I want to go back to what you've just said. This is not a feminist agenda. And I absolutely agree. It's just pointing out the differences that are apparent in the way men and women view certain ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. Because we do. We do things differently. Whether it's because of socialization, because of hormones, because of you name it. There's lots of different reasons that we, we take on a challenge differently. But it's there.
0: Yes. And it, and it's hurting a lot of women. And if you had one word of advice for organizations, what is it that they need to start to (laughs) think? I mean, it's probably huge, but you know, how does an organization that clearly, because it's never just one woman in an organization that burns out. There are patterns that are going on, you know, around high staff turnover about women, you know, being erratic, not coping in their roles Um, or or actually more serious things I mean I've had colleagues you know multiple of them having breast cancer multiple of them leaving and burning out or 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 one even died and that was all related to this I mean suicide suicide yeah how yes we don't even talk about that one but it it is definitely there how does an organization which sees certain patterns begin to address it where is that beginning
1: There's organizationally cultures needs to shift. That's, that's kind of a throwaway kind of thing to say really, because where does that actually start? I think everybody, there's two ways to approach. Now I'll go through both of them. One of them is on the, at the individual level. And that if I had to say, and I'm like, I had to, I do say to the, to the women that I coach, um, if they're in the leadership role and their teams are struggling one thing that they can do and if they do it well it'll make a big difference as you're walking down a hall and I'll ask you Clarissa how many times have you been walking down the street or walking down the hall and someone has said to you oh how are you going how are you doing oh what's the response well, yeah, fine. Fine, thank you <laughs> how many times have you stopped and looked that person in the eye and waited for them to actually give you an answer that meant something
0: never Or very rarely, but I probably did towards the end. But so many times
1: you just go, oh, that's good. And you just go. Why bother asking? If you don't really care about the answer, why do we ask? So that's one thing that, and and the response I typically get is I don't have time for it. Well, if you don't have time, then don't ask the question. But if you're going to ask the question, take the time. And it might be two minutes. It might be three minutes. It's not that big of an investment, but the power behind it. Those team members will look at you and say, wow, she cares. She actually noticed me. She saw me. She didn't just see the blur walking past. She saw me and she asked me how I was. And she actually listened to the response and had a conversation. It's a really, it seems like a really small thing, but I'd love the listeners to try it and see what response they get. Try it, you know, once a day for a week and see what happens huge hugely powerful yes organizationally the thing that needs to happen more than anything is that people need to start to listen so all of this strategy all of the the forward planning doesn't mean anything if you're not listening to the to the people who are responsible for putting that agenda out there you you hear lots of organizations that say but they're our star employee they do such a good job they bring in the revenue they see more patients they whatever yeah, yeah whatever it is in the organization, the industry that you're in, that person could be doing more damage financially, even by being there than not being there if they are the ones that are affecting the culture to that extent. Yes, so the the organization really needs to take a really strong look at where the problems are and then tackle it. Some of the work that I do um, around coaching teams is a team will be identified as having problems. So the place you start is with the leader. Yes. Because if the leaders, if it's, a, if it's in a team that's having the problem, and it doesn't mean that the leader's a bad person or can't be elevated or given the skills to, to provide good leadership, but that's where you need to start. Yes. It
0: always starts with, with, the, culture, with the culture at the back. It always is there. We, we see that, that a certain style becomes the dominant style. It's often, as you said, a non-listening culture where it's all go, 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 lots of pressure and lots of other factors. And that sets the tone, doesn't
1: it? absolutely does. And if that's what you're coming into every day, without some serious change in the way you approach things, it's not going to change at all unless the organization takes it on. And generally that only happens when there's a change of leadership unfortunately that's very true
0: and sometimes that doesn't happen when you know maybe my final question would be when should women jump ship if they see that the organization isn't going to change they're seeing a change in themselves you know when do we when do we call it quits before we burn when is that or do we really need a turning point do we need to go as low as the kangaroo or some of
1: my Events. I, I would, I would suggest please don't. But unfortunately, many will. Many need that sign as I did. That slap in the face. That, that shake the shoulders and say, wake up. You know, look at what you're actually doing and what's what how it's affecting you and the people around you. If you are having these problems, if you are starting to lose. The drive for your job, if you're starting to feel tired and a weekend isn't enough or a week isn't enough to come back feeling refreshed, if you feel like you're not actually accomplishing what you set out to in the role that you're in, that, that you know, the projects or the patients or, or whatever it is that drove you at the beginning of that role, if that's not having the same value, it doesn't show you the same value that it did at the beginning of your role, you need to really take a good look at what potential is because it might be something that you're doing that you could shift but you need to know that you're not trapped and absolutely reach out and speak to someone speak to someone neutral speak to someone it it can it can be a coach certainly i speak to a lot of women that that are suffering or or struggling with that question you know it's it's really fascinating one of the first things they ask is am i am i just tired i actually feel i'm lazy Oh, and lazy is the furthest thing from what these women are. Yeah. But that's, that's what we tell ourselves. Yes. I'm not getting as much done. I must be lazy. Wow. I need to go sit for a little while. I must be lazy. If you're starting to feel that way, you need to either figure out a way, speak to someone to, to see what the shift needs to change. Probably, though, you need to figure out how you're going to go from there To your next role, whatever it is that you need to change, but there's a change needs to happen. Yeah. Oh, Kathleen, we could talk about this forever.
0: This is this could go on. This is such a big, meaty topic on so many levels, on our own level, uh, organizational levels, and I, I we can only hope that things can get better because of people like you in the world, Kathleen, out there championing.
1: Thank you, and certainly COVID is giving us a whole different world of people working from home and those leadership challenges are, are just going to get bigger.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people are just overworking at this time. That, that's a topic for a whole new there's conversation. The
1: boundaries, There's yeah. the
0: boundaries. Yeah, there's <laughs> the boundaries. And boy, are people feeling those boundaries. Kathleen, thank you. But Leslie, how can people get hold of you and connect with you and the work that you do?
1: Thank you. I do have my own podcast as well. It's called Epic Women Leaders. Epic is an acronym and happy to share that that with you if you just, if your listeners would like to to uh, have a listen to, to the stories. And the podcast is, is stories of women who have gone through burnout, who have managed to find a way through it and who are now thriving. It's It's meant to be an inspirational type of um forum and uh, it's some of the stories are just absolutely phenomenal and and where women have come from and where they're headed to now Uh, my website's actually just about to relaunch it's kathleenfairglobal.com and so that will be up and ready to go within the next couple of weeks beginning of september Um, I've got a Facebook group, either you can come to the business page, Kathleen Fair Global, or to, if you can ask to join Epic Women Leaders, it's a, a group that we have on Facebook as well. Um, and it's, not, again, another forum to be able to share some of the, the work that happens.
0: That is fantastic. Kathleen, thank you for coming on sharing your own journey and giving women, I think some real good thought starters about if you're in burnout or you're heading in burnout what you can do around taking back that control
1: absolutely thank you so much for having me clarissa and allowing me to share this this message because it is so incredibly important so thank you thank you well i hope that you really
0: enjoyed that podcast interview and that you were able to walk away with some great tips and ideas that you can implement in your daily life If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, don't forget to like, subscribe and share to wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on this podcast, reach out to me, clarissa at clarissachristiansen.com and let me know And I will try my best to get them on the show. Until next time, when I will have another fabulous guest sharing their stories and their wisdom go well.
1: The, is it morning yet? Deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Get any sized iced coffee for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. And sweeten the deal when you pair it with a baked apple or pumpkin and creme pie. After all, why wait to treat yourself? Prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer.